Welcome to the O'Reilly Data Show. I'm your host, Ben Lorica. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to remind our listeners that we do have two event series that they can go and attend and learn more about the topics covered in this podcast. The first one is called the Strata Data Conference, which you can find at strataconf.com. The second one is the Artificial Intelligence Conference, which you can find at the AIConf.com. In this episode of The Data Show, I sat down with Francesca Lacheri, an AI and machine learning scientist, and her colleague Jaya Matthew, a senior data scientist. They both work at Microsoft. This interview was conducted at our first ever AI conference in London. Earlier this year, we conducted a couple of surveys. Uh, basically trying to understand how companies are using machine learning and AI. And we found that while many companies are still in the early stages of adoption, there's definitely a lot of interest in moving forward with projects in the future. I wanted to talk with Francesca and Jaya because they spend a lot of time interacting with companies who are beginning to use machine learning, and they have experiences that span many industries and applications. So I wanted to learn some of the processes and tools and what they're seeing out there as far as enterprise adoption. I hope you enjoy this conversation. So I'm here at the first ever AI conference in London with Francesca Lasari, an AI and machine learning scientist at uh, Microsoft, and Jaya Matthew, a senior data scientist at Microsoft Azure AI. So welcome to the data show. Thank you. Thank you you so much. Thank you for having us. (laughs) So your respective backgrounds are for Francesca, business and economics, and for you, Jaya, statistics. So how did both of you end up in data science? So that's a great question. And uh, I have to say, before joining Microsoft, I was a research fellow in uh, business economics at uh, Harvard Business School. Uh, Specifically, I was working in uh, the technology operation management unit. I was performing uh, statistical and econometric analysis for them. And uh, at Harvard Business School, I work on multiple patent publications, citation, data-driven projects uh, to investigate and measure the impact of external knowledge networks on the company's competitiveness and innovation. So this experience gave me uh, the unique opportunity to learn how to extract the knowledge from a huge amount of data, what we call big data, and also uh, to code in R. Uh, so this, I have to say, was my first step into the data science world. And after that experience, I started my career as a data scientist uh, at Microsoft. So at that time at HBS, I was not really called a data scientist. They just called me research fellow. Uh, but I have to say that was my first experience really uh, as a data scientist. Thank you, Francesca. So for me, uh, you know, as a child, I always had an inclination for mathematics growing up. So eventually I decided that I'll actually do an undergrad in mathematics and eventually a graduate degree in statistics. So after I got done with my studies, I started my career more than a decade ago as an analyst with Hewlett Picard. At that time, data science as a term wasn't there. So then we all got started with just uh, reporting, building very simple models. Then it slowly evolved into machine learning models and then it became artificial intelligence. So over the years, I've seen my skill set evolved, and I've actually even taken courses online to keep up with the trend. And I see how I've evolved from being just an analyst to a data scientist now. So uh, based on your respective backgrounds, I would imagine uh, you probably appreciate 
for example, for you, Jaya, the importance of statistics, right? So for you, econometrics, right? So what would you say to someone who's trying to get into data science? So what are some of the foundational things that you think are underappreciated? So, uh, of course, you have to know statistics and econometrics uh, very well. Uh, when I say econometrics, I mean just, you know, uh, statistics applied uh, into economics field. So statistics, time series, time series yeah. exactly, forecast. And uh, then coding, so computer science, I would say right now the uh, languages that are uh, most popular among data scientists are R and Python, uh, sometimes a SQL to extract the data. But this is just the, the basic uh, that you need to know. And the, the third one is really, I think, uh, curiosity. You have to be a, a problem solver. So you have to start with the problem and then you have to use the data to answer your questions. So I would say the, the mix of these three skills, uh, it's perfect to become a data scientist. So actually, Jaya, I, uh, recently I had a conversation with a couple of uh, researchers at Stanford around the topic of fairness mm-hmm. and bias. And it turns out, actually, if you dig deep into these areas, it's all statistics, right? So understanding the underlying distribution of data and and things like that. Yeah. So I think what is that? um, So even if a person actually doesn't have a background of statistics or math, economics, uh, I mean, right now there's just so many online courses. There's so many ways for anybody who's curious and really wants to get into the field to kind of just learn basics that will actually help them break into the domain of data science. So someone asked me actually today, so what are some of the ways someone can break into data science? And the main thing I told this person was, from my perspective, the main thing is to actually work on actual projects. Exactly. You know, it's one thing to work on things that are toy examples, but once you get working with real projects, you realize that maybe a lot of the times I spend on other things besides the model. Exactly. More than, I think, 60% of the time is data preparation and pre-processing. And I think the data model building is just the very last piece. So Microsoft is a large company, and there's many types of data scientists inside Microsoft, right? So describe your current roles. Right now, I'm working in the cloud developer advocacy team at Microsoft. So my team supports the different type of products teams, specifically I support Azure machine learning teams and I build the machine learning solution and I try to help them also to collect the feedback to improve the AI platform that we have at Microsoft. So I work with a team called Azure Customer Advisory Team, commonly known as Azure Cat within Microsoft. So in my current role, I primarily work with external customers who come to Microsoft and this could be across various verticals with different use cases. And they're primarily trying to build some sort of artificial intelligence, machine learning models, and try and build an end to an operationalized pipeline that they can put into production and drive some business value. So since you both work with a lot of uh, customers, I think you probably appreciate the importance of domain knowledge. Exactly. So, uh, another underappreciated thing. Yes. That, uh, as much as we talk about AI and its cap- magical capabilities, at the end of the day, you still need... You need a domain expert yeah. in the loop throughout the entire model building process. Because very often we actually see variables and data. It makes no sense to a data scientist unless a domain expert actually jumps in and tells us, well, these are the variables that are most likely to be useful. So in a large company like Microsoft, I imagine there's specialization. There's many different roles. So what are some of the opportunities someone interested in working for Microsoft may pursue? Like what are the types of data positions? 
Yeah, uh, so I think that both myself and Jaya are more like applied data scientists. So we build a really end-to-end solution for external customers, and we want to see those solutions in production, meaning that we want to see the end-to-end operationalized ML solution uh, integrated in our customer systems. Other data-related positions at Microsoft are uh, machine learning engineers. We work with them. These are more um, specialists in the data science team who are focused on one type of machine learning and also its method and the tools for tuning and training that type of machine learning. Uh, so this is an actual job title? Yes. And uh, uh, potentially they are doing more R&D and, uh, to build new types of models. And then another uh, role that uh, we work very often with is the data engineer. Uh, so they work in the team that builds production-grade data processing tools. So and they have a strong interest in the data architecture, the data flow, uh, and also the system integration. So they are all these things that put data science models into production systems. So when the data scientists like us build the model, then usually we always need a data engineer that really is taking care of the integration part. So Jaya, is there uh, an opportunity for someone to cross-train? Like, for example, I'm a data scientist who wants to sharpen my data engineering skills. Can I cross-train with the data engineer? Yes. So actually, in our team, the team that I work in, it's highly advisable for everyone. So me as a data scientist, I'm expected to learn a little bit of data engineering. So how to build a pipeline, how to piece all the different components of Azure together. So, I mean, uh, we're also expected to do a little bit of program management. Just as a well-rounded data scientist, they have to have skills in data science, engineering, as well as program management. So uh, you two are about to give a talk, or already gave a talk, called A Day in the Life of a Data Scientist in an AI Company. So I just want to briefly touch on some of the topics you cover. So first of all, at this point in the evolution of machine learning and AI, in your experience, to what extent uh, do decision makers actually understand the capabilities and limitations of current AI technology? So how much education do you need to, to do? So um, I have to say, based on our experience with working with external customers, a lot. So uh, people right now, I think companies in general, they are still trying to understand how to build their own data science teams. And most of the time, the people that we talk to and while we are uh, building their uh, ML solution are more people that are external from the data science world. So I think we spend a lot of time doing what we call the scoping document. That is really a document in which we try to assess what is the level of preparation of the understanding of these teams into like a technology or like machine learning solution that, can, that we are going to build for them. Because for us, it's very important to understand how we can engage with these teams and how we need to educate them. So I would say right now, many companies we work we we spend more probably 30% of our time just educating them and going through uh, through training uh, both from the technology point of view but also from the machine learning point of view when when I say machine learning point of view I mean also the theoretical approach to machine learning so jaya um i imagine since you work a lot with companies one of the things you have to do is to help them find appropriate use cases that is, yeah. So what, do you have a framework for helping companies think through what kinds of use cases lend themselves to machine learning? So typically what we've seen is customers come to us with some business 
use cases. And I think the senior management comes up with a bunch of questions. And so when they just give us the questions along with some of the available data sources, we literally have to see if the relevant data is available to address the question. Many a times what we've noticed is, uh, what is that? The data is available, but you know the appropriate question's not there. And sometimes we've seen the other scenario where, uh, what is that? The question's right, but the data is not available because they haven't instrumented a specific machine in a certain way with sensors that are relevant to address the thing. So we go back and forth with the business to reiterate the question, ensuring that it's sharp and the relevant data is available. And this initial phase does take time because it's not as trivial as the data is available in the perfect format for us to build a model. So this initial scoping takes a couple of months. And typically, we have our program managers who help us uh, get through that initial phase. Do you do find that the best scenario is when you have a business champion inside the company, right? So yes. Who, can, who yeah. can drive kind of the Yes. Yes. Yeah, so for example, last year I was working with a customer who had a very strong IT team. So at the beginning, I, I was not thinking that this IT team was uh, good also with a, a data science project or ML-driven uh, type of project. But actually they were because they hired many data scientists. And the most important thing is that this IT team was also an expert of the data and very close to the business unit. So in my opinion, it was the, an excellent example on how data science, business understanding and data understanding were like just working together. And then the solution that we built for them was very successful. Thanks for this. So Jaya, what happens when you engage a customer and they may not have the right staff or talent? So, so, uh, so we've we've uh, tried a few experiments and per se where you know the company doesn't have data science team in house and it's just us or externally who are kind of helping them build the data science team. So we've seen that the success of them maintaining and updating the models is very low because they they actually don't have the skill set. So we typically would encourage the company to actually have somebody who's interested in data science, maybe not a data science team, but maybe engineers who are interested in learning about data science or interested in maintaining the model. Because, I mean, it's impossible for us to actually have a successful engagement with them until and unless they have a team who's willing to invest in maintaining, learning about the model and, you know, actually adopting it. So you do work for Microsoft, which is somewhat of a magnet for technical people and maybe mm -hmm. even data scientists. So for companies who are not in that position, what kind of training programs have you seen them use in order to take a group of people and maybe give them data science skills? Are you starting to see internal training programs? Yeah. So I think uh, what is that even internally? So we have our Microsoft Research who actually comes up with curriculum for AI trainings where they have introductory courses in deep learning, then more advanced. So, I mean, they, they even train us. So what's, what, what do they assume on the part of the students? So I think it's basically, uh, what is that? The person has to spend substantial amount of time to learn. And then uh, what is that? Has to have basic understanding of linear algebra, mathematics. And, you know, there's no assumption that the person actually has worked on a machine learning project. So and then you have assignments. It's just like a semester system where you have assignments and you, um, what is that? You have to read, do the assignment. There's a project at the end, capstone kind of project, which kind of ensures that you've actually imbibed the material and you know what you're doing. 
So, I mean, uh, within Microsoft, we do see a lot of trainings and we have internal conferences as well where different teams who do data science come together and present their learnings. So, I mean, we as Microsoft employees are encouraged to go for internal conferences where we learn about the new techniques in ML and AI. So Microsoft has something called the data science process. So what is it and how did it get started? So the data science process is a framework that uh, as a data scientist and uh, people in general who are involved in any data science process, we apply it. We try to apply it. Um, so we start everything with a business problem. So um, customers and external customers comes to us with a business problem or a process that they want to optimize. Uh, we start to work with them to understand how to define better because every time that you have a business problem, you always want to translate these into realistic questions, what we call data science questions. And then uh, we move to the data part, that is more, what, is the, what are the different data sources for the data? Are the, is this data internal or just external? Um, so after that, you try to uh, define the, the data pipeline, so how you're going to ingest the data. We start uh, with the, the core part of the data science process, that is the data cleaning, feature engineering, uh, model building, and of course, uh, trying to find the best model to deploy. Of course, there are also external agents. When I say external agents, I mean like there are program managers and business experts that they follow us doing this process because, of course, they are the ones that are experts of the data and also of the business. And so it's also it's a very interactive process because you go back and forth trying to understand if what we are building is something that really can support, it can be uh, interesting for the business, like can really support a, a new business process to optimize something. So this is, again, it's done uh, using many different technologies on the uh, Azure platform uh, in terms of also door, uh, data storage, but also uh, regarding the Azure machine learning uh, platform. We, we can use Azure machine learning and deep learning if first we want to customize our model, if uh, the customer is more interested in using uh, already pre-trained model, we use what is called the cognitive services that usually you can uh, build your own AI app that interact uh, naturally with users. Uh, so there are different tools that you can use also to track your data science team process and progress uh, while they are building this solution. It's uh, something that we applied. It's a, it's a very general template, but we find it very useful because you, it can be applied to many different scenarios. So it sounds like this is a framework that originated from Microsoft learning to do data science and, and doing it systematically. So in your consulting with other companies, do you take this framework and kind of teach them? Because one of the things that people also sometimes underappreciate is the importance of culture and organization, right? So in terms of... Uh, yeah, so we actually do recommend it. And then uh, what we've noticed is some of the companies want some minor tweaks in the process. So we kind of taper it to their needs a little bit. But essentially, the structure remains, you know, similar across companies. So to the extent that uh, you two are comfortable, so what are some interesting examples of AI within Microsoft uh, instead of uh, AI products of Microsoft? So what are some interesting uh, projects or the uses of AI within Microsoft? 
So, um, yeah, I think that we have all our bot systems, internal bot systems are actually uh, created by machine learning and data scientists that are um, machine learning data scientists from Microsoft. Uh, so all, uh, for example, the chat to look for more information uh, around a specific internal system like HR, or like I'm thinking also about the Teams that is a new platform. So every time that you have to ask a question, it's, uh, it's nice because you, you can ask uh, more information or you can look for something using this uh, bot application. And all the applications that you can uh, find there are all built by Microsoft engineers and data scientists. So this is a really an example on how uh, we use our internal knowledge to uh, optimize a process that is an internal process. And uh, it's, it's very interesting because most of the time we try to leverage the experience and the knowledge that we learn from these internal projects. And we try to apply these also uh, to external projects with the customers. We also see that um, a lot of intelligence that external users see in Outlook, Excel, PowerPoint are actually driven by some AI that's running in the back end. So internally, I mean, uh, what's that? Those teams that work on Outlook, Skype, Bing, they're all, uh, what is that, using machine learning models. And we internally, we test it. And then eventually it comes out to the external audience as some intelligent feature. Right, right, right. So as best as you can tell, what are some of the main bottlenecks holding back adoption of AI and machine learning? Yeah, so that's a, a great question. So, uh, in my opinion, the two main bottlenecks that I observe from uh, customers are the ability to collect the right data. Cool. Uh, so, we yeah, companies <laughs> that are collecting like a petabytes of data. But the quick question is always, do you have the relevant data for the problems that you're trying to solve? Uh, so, for example, many companies who are attempting uh, predictive maintenance have piles of uh, data available from all different types of uh, sensors. Uh, but too often, companies do not have enough data about, for example, their failure history. And that makes it very difficult to predict the maintenance because models need to be trained on such failure history data to predict the future failure incidents. So this is one example. And then the second uh, uh, bottlenecks, I think, is that many companies are still not able to define a clear vision and purpose around their company data. So driving, I think, a transformation required that companies have a well-defined uh, mission about how they are going to use their data. And uh, so very often I don't see that company do it in the proper way. So they don't have a clear strategy on now. They're going really to optimize their internal processes. Yeah. So in addition to what Francesca just said, uh, one of the other biggest bottlenecks is lack of talent within the organization. So, I mean, the company really needs to invest in either upskilling their existing employee base, and that tends to be expensive and they're trying to figure out if that investment is really worth it, or they need to go out and try and hire, and hiring that specific skill set is difficult. There's so much of talent shortage everywhere. And then in addition to that, there's also a little bit of hesitation just because some of the AI and ML models are black box. So, you know, when the business is unable to interpret the results and say, well, this is the feature, hence the model's giving you this result. And when it comes to deep learning models, interpretability is very, I mean, it's still people are trying to figure out how to best interpret these right. models. So I think when, you know, governments and organizations see this as a black box, they're like, no, we need to know what's going on in there before we actually adopt it. And I think eventually now there are questions about 
you know, is the data fair? Is it biased? You know, regulations really need to be in place to ensure that, you know, a machine learning model does not favor any group of individuals. So I think it's unfair if a model comes into, you know, production and there are these undesired consequences. So So, uh, when it comes to the skills gap and lack of talent, so what's your advice to companies who are just starting to form their data team? So what's the right way to approach getting started and forming a team? So I think typically, you know, when we've interviewed for candidates within our teams or other teams trying to build the data science, you know, skill sets within newer teams at Microsoft, what we typically uh, look at is each individual in the team complements and brings a different skill set to the team. So we're not necessarily looking for people with backgrounds in only math and statistics. So I think we also need people with skill sets in computer science, programming, some people who are very strong in economics and, you know, in certain other verticals. So I think data science as a process is a team effort. So, I mean, one person adds some value and the other one adds a certain other skill set to the group. So, Francesca, you mentioned data mm-hmm. as a bottleneck, which leads me to my next question around the chief data officer. So, which in many ways uh, is responsible for making sure the data is available, usable, and all these things. In principle, right? So, so is this a position you're starting to see in many companies? And how are people describing this position to you? Yes, so we start to see this uh, position in uh, many, many uh, companies and also customers that we have been working on for a while. I think that the role of the CDO is uh, crucial, as you said, to ensure the implementation of a healthy data science function. So CDOs are responsible for uh, running analytics pilots and also build a thriving data science practice. So I think that specifically they should guarantee a few uh, principles. So the first one is, of course, as we mentioned, collected the right data. So data has to be collected and has to be available, accessible to the entire company. Then they have to define a clear vision and purpose around the company uh, data, that for sure. Uh, another uh, characteristic of a CDO that I think it's very important is that they have to also grow a culture of empowerment and experimentation. So even where there is a clearly articulated purpose around the company data, I think that that alone often doesn't lead to a successful business transformation, data-driven business transformation. Uh, So CDO, I think, should ensure that the culture of the firm supports experimentation and also the utilization of new data, technology, and uh, machine learning-based solutions. You also mentioned in uh, one of the things that seems to hold companies back is you know, they might be concerned about explainability, yes. fairness, and bias. We also found this in our survey. So to what extent are you starting to hear people talk about this? Not in the sense of reading about it, but actually this is a top-level issue that we, when, as we build these things, we have to consider. Yeah, so I think uh, we are seeing this with some of our customers where, you know, I mean, especially I think when it comes to health data, or government-related and banks. I think, you know, what is that? They really want to know what actually drives the machine learning model. So, you know, I mean, if a customer comes back and asks, well, why is it that I was not approved a credit card or something? And if it's just entirely based on a model and say, well, the model just told us that it's, you know, deny the application versus accept. I think um, all these institutions want to actually 
have an answer if they actually question, well, why is it that this is the decision? So I think we are trying to um, help these organizations and trying to ensure that the data that's used to build these models are as unbiased as possible. And that is difficult because historic data may not be very representative in some domains. So we're trying our best, but this is just the initial, you know, attempts. By but at least you're, this is a real concern, it not is, a theoretical concern. No, no, it is, it is a real concern. So I think now when it comes to data and, you know, pretty much earlier when we studied statistics, it's just like get as many unbiased, you know, samples in the data. But the thing is now it's pretty much like some of the data is just biased by nature. So you have to somehow ensure it's unbiased before you actually build the model. So this has been a great conversation. I wanted to close by having Francesca give us a preview of a two-day training, which breaking news, Jaya might be part of. <laughs> she doesn't know it yet. Uh, uh, next year, so Francesca will be teaching a two-day training for us at the AI conference, and actually starting at Stratus San Francisco, called Forecasting Financial Time Series with Deep Learning on Azure. So give us a high-level overview of what, so one, uh, what's the right background for someone for this training, and what should they expect to learn? So there are not too many prerequisites for this uh, today training. I think that experience with coding in Python can be very useful. Then, of course, a basic understanding of machine learning and deep learning topics and terminology also. Um, and then uh, familiarity uh, with the time series forecast also can help because, again, all the uh, training, the two-day training is going to be focused on forecasting fin financial time series. So I think that these can be also very helpful. So uh, what I'm planning to do during this two-day training is uh, uh, to walk the students through the core step for using Azure Machine Learning Service to train machine learning models, both locally and also on a remote computer resource. And then uh, they will use a training and deployment workflow for Azure Machine Learning Service in a Python Jupyter notebook. Actually, we will have a multiple notebook because we will start with the data ingestion, data preparation for time series, and then uh, we will have a few uh, notebooks just for the modeling part. And they get to keep those notebooks. As Absolutely. Example. So you can then use the notebook as a template to train uh, you know, your own machine learning model with your own uh, data. Specifically, the use case that we are going to use for part of this training is how to generate the stock market prediction with a long short-term memory, LSTM. Uh, networks. So uh, as many of you know already, uh, LSTM models can use the history of a sequence of data and then predict what the future elements of that sequence are going to be. So this is very helpful in many different financial use cases. Uh, for example, when you need to model stock prices. Um, so I will give an introduction to time series forecast. And then I will give an introduction, as I said, to neural networks for time series forecast. We will use Azure Machine Learning Services to build this hand-to-hand -hand, uh, solution. And the applied use case, again, is a stock market prediction with LSTM. Sounds like a great course. And looking forward to Jaya being part of the <laughs> I agree. Uh, instructional team. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can follow Francesca Lazzeri and Jaya Matthew on Twitter at FR Lazzeri and at Matthew Jaya, respectively. Thank you for joining us. If you like the show, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn.com or SoundCloud or Spotify and never miss an episode.